0: Welcome to the Waffle Shop podcast with me, Taylor James. This is the podcast that gets people waffling about their mental health, coping mechanisms, life's minor inconveniences, and the music that soundtracks it all. So join me as I open up shop and have a waffle.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...
0: Welcome to the Waffle Shop podcast with me, Taylor James, the podcast all about getting people waffling about their mental health, coping mechanisms, and the music that have soundtracked their journey. So join me as we open up shop and have a waffle. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Waffle Shop podcast. Today, I'm joined by what I can only describe as a bit of a living legend. Now, the savior of our first lockdown here in the UK, and just genuinely one of my favourite people is Carol Baskin. Welcome to the Waffle Shop.
2: Hey, are you cool, cats and kittens in the Waffle Shop?
0: (laughs) Joe, even if we ended the call there, I feel like that has just made my day.
2: I'm expecting waffles for this now. Do
0: you know what? I feel like I feel like such a disappointment whenever I have like American guests on the show because I feel obviously waffles over in the UK are very, we're described as people who talk too much. Whereas obviously in America, they're like a national dish, aren't they?
2: Yes. (laughs) We live for a waffle house.
0: Well, just, well over here is the waffle shop so we feel like you're now part of the family so welcome
2: <laughs>
0: so well, I hope
2: we'll be doing a lot of waffling here then
0: oh plenty that's one thing I do very well it's, it's the only thing I do very well so <laughs> um I don't even know where to start with this interview because there is so much that I want to ask you about but obviously you do what you do because obviously you have such a passion for for cats. Now, I wanted to throw it back a little bit and ask you like, how did that passion start?
2: I was recently asked by People Magazine to find some pictures of me when I was younger. And I went through my mother's old scrapbook and you know how the old scrapbooks had like the sticky paper that you stuck the picture on and then there was plastic over the top. So I was taking them out and scanning them for the magazine article, and I pulled out the very first photo that they had of me where my mother's holding me. I've just come home from the hospital, and my father is holding this tabby cat. And on the back of the picture, it said that the cat's name was Tiger. And I thought, well, isn't that appropriate? Wow. The very yeah, <laughs> I remember that, obviously. Yeah. And I didn't really have, I didn't grow up with a passion for big cats or protecting lions or tigers or anything like that. My passion started when I was about eight years old to want to protect domestic cats and kittens Mm. from being killed in shelters due to overpopulation. And that just kind of, I mean, that lit a fire under me to want to build up a, a business where I could make enough money to save the millions of cats and kittens that I knew were dying. And so that was the path that I was on when I uh, first ran into my first bobcat, which was when I was 17. And because I was working on domestic cat issues, I was in veterinary hospitals a lot. And if a bobcat gets hit by a car or shot by a hunter, the vet can fix them up in a few minutes. But then you're talking months of rehab. And they knew Mm -hmm. that I was tolerant of any kind of cat, feral cat, crazy cat, they didn't care. (laughs) So right up here, so they'd say, "Would you take this cat home and get it ready to go back to the wild?" And so that's what I started doing when I was seventeen. And then it wasn't until I was thirty-one or so that my late husband and I were at an exotic animal auction buying llamas because we would turn the llamas loose on big tracts of land. We were in real estate for a, and they'll clear about eye level, and then you can move them to the next property. And a guy came in with a six-month-old bobcat who his wife didn't want as a pet anymore. And the guy next to me started bidding on her. And I leaned over and I said, when that cat grows up, she's going to tear your face off because <laughs> there's nothing more wicked than a popcat. And he said, I'm a taxidermist. I'm just going to club her in the oh. head in the parking lot, and make a den decoration out of her. So I started crying and my husband started bidding and we brought her home. But because she had been born in captivity and had been born in a different state and had been declawed, she couldn't be released. And so we started looking for a playmate for her that she wouldn't beat the snot out of because she was beating up our German shepherd. And this guy said we he'd sell us a kitten, but we had to come up there in person. And when we got there, this is, we were in Tampa and he was in Minnesota. And there was this shed full of cages. Like you can imagine what mink cages or rabbit cages yeah. or maybe a puppy mill looks like. They were full of bobcats, Canada lynx, and Siberian lynx. And he's pulling out all these kittens and showing them to us. And I said, is there this big of a market for these as pets? And he said, no. He said, whatever we don't sell as pets, we'll harvest the next year for their herd. And I just burst into tears. And my husband said, i much for every cat here? And we came home with 56 bobcats, Canada lynx, and Siberian lynx. And I then the next the year, car. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's good to say.
2: them kids. to the
0: roof. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we had to go back the next year, and we bought all of the adults. So that was 28 more cats, and then the following year, 22 off of another fur farm, and the following year, we started getting cats out of uh, Canada. So we had gotten all of the cats out of all of the fur farms in the U.S., and we're working on Canada when I lost my husband in '97. But during that period of time, people started calling and saying, "Would you take my lion? Would you take my tiger?" And at every point along the way, I thought, how hard could this be to fix, right? I mean, we yeah. need laws, we can fix this. And now it's been nearly 30 years of trying to do what you guys did back in the 70s. You guys outlawed the private ownership of big cats back then. <laughs> you don't have the problems we have now. Because <laughs> do
0: we don't have the space, <laughs>
2: <laughs> they take a lot of room. <laughs>
0: But I I genuinely love talking to anyone who has like a genuine like passion and wants to obviously use their passion to do like good things. So this obviously leads into my next thing. Like, have you ever kind of took a step back and been like, that's a lot of cats. We're going
2: to need a bigger house. Yeah. And in fact, we did because we were living on five acres and my house was small, probably about 1200 square feet. And so what we did inside, because the first year they were kittens, all of those cages, like I explained, that were in the fur farm, we built the same kind of cages inside the house. And so my entire house was like all of these cages full of these animals. And then I would let them down to run through the house and I'm allergic to cats and I'm allergic to dust and mold and mildew. So I have- Wait, hang on on a minute. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I'm allergic to cats.
0: Carol Baskin, who is like now world famous for rescuing cats. Is allergic to cats.
2: Yeah, it makes my eyes all puff up. <laughs> I can hardly <laughs> see if I touch them.
0: So it's like a gardener with hay fever. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, there's a pain, pain into purpose, though. I like that. Bigger cause and all that.
2: <laughs> so I, I didn't have carpets in my house or drapes or anything like that uh, that would collect dust as a result. So it's pretty easy to mop up after them, but they were just wreaking havoc and so we were building cages as fast as we could but then when we started doing more for farm rescues the next year we decided that the five acres we were on was not enough and we had another piece of property because we're in real estate for a living that was just five miles down the road that was 40 acres then it's now 67 and wow. um so that's where we ended up building the outdoor enclosures and moving the cats to.
0: either I, I, generally i'd I... I love having these kind of conversations because it just makes you kind of, it gives you that fire in your belly to be like, to do better. And to be fair, like I feel on the back of that, obviously with all the work that you have been doing, hasn't like a law changed or something over there because of like, you know, the involvement obviously in the show, which we'll get into a little bit, but obviously because of your incredible work.
2: My husband, Howard Baskin always looks back on those times that I reflect when I talk about the starts of the sanctuary and he says he's so happy he was not around for all this that. <laughs> madness. <laughs> so that's where I thought you were going with that. Uh, yeah, we got a law passed. We've, I've been working on a law to ban the private possession of big cats since 1998. And I got a precursor of it passed in 2003, along with a lot of other big organizations that we were all working together. And it was called the Captive Wildlife Safety Act. And so what that did was it made it illegal to sell a big cat across state lines as a pet. But it didn't make the cub petting illegal, which is what drives right. all of the breeding and discarding. And it didn't make private ownership illegal. And so we tried, but we couldn't get that through. So ever since 2003, when that law became law, we've been trying to close that loophole. And we're finally closing in on it. Um, Just last year in December, we finally got a vote for the full House floor, and we passed with a two-thirds majority vote, but then the Senate didn't take it up in time because it was the last month of the session, so we had to start all over again in January, but we're up to 200 co-sponsors in the House and about 24 in the Senate, and I just got back yesterday from speaking to about 40 or 50 Senate chiefs of staff. And so we're really hopeful that this will be the year that we finally make this a law that you can't be doing cup petting and charging people to pet these baby tigers. Yeah. People can't keep them as pets anymore. They can keep the ones they have, they just can't buy or breed more.
0: That- Again, like huge respect for that. Do you do you ever sleep like or take time off <laughs> to like, take I some really
2: cowards? <laughs> really well too, man. I go to bed at ten o'clock at night and I mean like that. I am asleep and I'm asleep until about seven thirty the next morning. And I start at seven thirty and I usually run till about seven PM. Yeah. And I, I seven days a week and always have since I left home at the age of fifteen and I've always worked two or three jobs at a time to Keep well
0: I, I read this and obviously you can't believe everything you read on the internet but when I was doing like my little bit of research into your, your journey like, you're like I, your, your startup to get into that point like I don't want to say rough as in it was a bad thing but does that give you now like even bigger drive to kind of keep going and do better because of I think it, one thing I saw was like you slept under like a car at like some points and it's just like I genuinely find it so remarkable, like with people like yourself who go through those kind of like hard times and then you don't let it define who you are. Like you're just like, yeah, that bad stuff happened, but it didn't stop me. It didn't stop the purpose.
2: Yeah, it, it didn't it didn't fuel the purpose, which I think is the way you kind of started on that. And but it, it definitely helped along the way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I love to say is what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, and <laughs> I really believe that, including Pittman. But
0: <laughs> uh, brilliant.
2: but I believe that we're eternal, and I believe that when we are on the other side of the veil, and we get together with all of our friends from the past life that we just had, and we're like, man, we were on target, we were trying to take care of this whole big cat issue before the tiger goes extinct in the wild and you know what we missed it on this point and this point and this point so let's all hop back in there we'll all play our different roles some of us will be good guys some of us will be bad guys but we'll all work together toward this higher sense of enlightenment for the entire planet and having that kind of an attitude as far as like that's where we come from and where we're going to then it tells me that every time something really horrible happens in my life that it was supposed to and that it's leading us to whatever that that better world is if we only figure out how to make that so and so every every thing that you have read maybe from my diary it sounds like that you're hearing the video blog yeah. that I from my diary all of those things even though many of them were horrific and things that might stop you in your tracks if your attitude is find
0: the good in this and move forward, then that's what you're gonna do. That's, you, you like, like speaking my language with all of this because it's it generally really is like really inspiring.
2: <laughs> Around here, we call it singing the language of my people.
0: <laughs> well, we'll be singing it over here now as well. I'll put it on the radio in the waffle shop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have a shop, but I'll just, I'll play it at home. <laughs> um, It was recently um, Tiger Day. Worldwide Tiger Day I think it was yesterday yeah Yeah. did you throw a party or like how do you celebrate
2: the way we celebrate International Tiger Day every year is we do a huge campaign and we have about 90,000 people on our email list we send out to them special um, items that we have made for Tiger Day special t-shirts and mugs and all kinds of things And then um, we also do a donation page for International Tiger Day. And then all of the money that we raise from that, we actually send to people who are working in the wild to protect tigers. So this year and last year, the money that we raised went to the Corbett Foundation. And what specifically they're doing to protect tigers and leopards um, is that they, in India, they have all of these wells where people can come from all over to get their water any kind of a barrier around them so when the tigers are like chasing the prey through the middle of the night and it falls in the well the cat falls in after it and then they drown so we're building little rails around all of these <laughs> wells so that people and animals don't fall into them now.
0: it's insane like because you wouldn't even think of that <laughs> so the fact yeah. that there's people like yourself like ah oh,
2: but if they're chasing the prey, it's like they're going too fast they can't stop them
0: yeah and to be, well, to be fair, they've got like. I Suppose the nighttime vision isn't probably their list of their pro- top list of their priorities, is it? <laughs> At that precise moment. Well, for cats,
2: yes, actually, it's really good, but not for the prey animals. So if they're in hot pursuit of an animal who doesn't see very well in the dark, yeah. Then,
0: yeah. <laughs> we have got to talk about Tiger King. Because really, you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm <sorry about> that. <laughs> well, in my in my eyes, I. I I'm going to say this. I don't think that I thought it was good because it brought out the side and and like the questions that it needed to and raise those questions about the serious topics. But I didn't think it portrayed you in a very good light.
2: No kidding. I mean, I really wondered after I saw it, whether or not I would ever be able to lobby for these laws to protect big cats, because I thought, you know, they did such a great job of, and it wasn't even so much what they said, it was what they showed. And if yeah. you talk to people who are in filmmaking, they'll say that that was exactly the ploy that they were using. So they might have me saying something like, um, "You know, I was explaining about how the meat grinder that we had, we didn't even have it at the time the God disappeared and that it was this tiny little thing. But while I'm saying that, they're showing this gigantic commercial <laughs> size thing and you're looking at that and going, yeah, you could run a body through that. And it's like, but that wasn't what we had. And so people came away from that with such a, a false understanding of yeah. the situation and of me that I didn't know whether or not I'd call up some congressman and say, hey, it's Carol Baskin, Could I come in and talk to you? And they'd be like, get lost, lady, we don't want you yeah. here. And so I was really thankful that I was invited to D- to D.C. yesterday to speak to so many of the legislators and the chiefs, because I didn't know if that would be the case. So you know if you had asked me the day before was tiger king good or bad for your mission i i would have been like i don't know the jury's still out but now i'm thinking hey this was pretty good because i probably never could have gotten that audience with so many of these important people if it weren't for that. yeah
0: well, it's because like you turned into like a it was like a global phenomenon at that time obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic but well, it was just the start of the pandemic wasn't it last year it and five. all of a sudden yeah this this show came out and we've you know two like very big characters and it was like it, it took the world by storm everyone was talking about. I mean there was like Halloween costumes like there were songs there was dances like how was that like going from kind of just kind of doing your own little thing like with the cat sanctuaries and this like that to all of a sudden everyone on the planet kind of knowing who you are like what, what was going through your head as soon as like the, all the feedback and stuff started coming in?
2: You know, it didn't hit me at first because we were all in lockdown. So, you know, I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> I wasn't it out. Was allowed. <laughs> and when I was going out, I had a mask over my face. And so it wasn't as apparent to me as it was later on when things started lightening up and people started going back to grocery stores and flying and things like that. In fact, just last night, oh my gosh, this was, it was horrific for the people in front of me, but it was one of those funny things that kind of ties into what you're saying. So I'm on this flight coming back from Washington, DC into Tampa, and it was like 8 PM flight. And so I got back into Tampa around 10 PM and the two people sitting in front of me, the girlfriend cannot wake up her boyfriend. And I don't know whether he's just messing with her and pretending he's asleep and that, you know, there's. that there's something wrong when there's not. But after a while I can see she's starting to get really upset and everybody's getting their bags and starting to get off the plane, but they haven't opened the doors yet. You know, so you're just kind of standing there waiting to open the doors and there's all this noise going on in the plane. And so I leaned over to her and I said, do you want me to start screaming for a doctor? And she said, I can't wake him up. I don't know what to do. Yes, please call for a doctor. So, in my, you know, I can really project my voice. <laughs> and so I'm like yelling to the front of the plane, Is there a doctor on this plane? I turn around, Is there a doctor in this plane? Nobody's answering, except everybody's going, Carol Baskin? Is Carol Baskin on the plane? Because <laughs> they've heard my voice now. <laughs> and they're like, That's all they can like, This I'm man like, is yes, in real need.
0: <laughs> So we don't know if he's like alive or breathing. But oh
2: my God, you're Carol Baskin. <laughs> like to never got anybody to finally come and deal with the guy. And there was a nurse sitting right behind him who was ignoring all of this going on. And finally she came up and started helping him. But then I tried to get off the plane and go to my husband's going to pick me up. And everybody on that plane wanted a selfie now because they all knew Carol Baskin was on the plane. I like, <laughs> it was like an hour trying to get from the plane to the curb.
0: <laughs> it's a nightmare trying to get through passport control as it is let alone everyone wanting a photo
2: especially when they yell carol baskin whenever i go through any kind of checkpoint and they see my id they're like oh my god you're not really carol <laughs> baskin it's like...
0: no it's not me we just, we just got the same name <laughs> with that i mean i know we're kind of laughing and joking about it but there was a dark side to this there was a lot of and this is this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because I I say a lot on the show like I I was raised by women like I'm surrounded but not like surrounded by women as if like I'm some big (laughs) put that out there now that is not the case but like (laughs)
2: like. (laughs) yes
0: yes (laughs) I'm just gonna say that now um but I'm always kind of in the like female company and stuff so I do get quite protective and that seeing some of like the the hate you got and obviously on the back of the show like with like a hitman being involved like I don't want to kind of put words into your mouth but like were you scared?
2: You know everybody asked that because they saw that there was a hitman involved but That was just one time in that one show that they were seeing. What they don't know is I have had so many of these animal abusers threaten to kill me over the years. Other people that were in the show, the guy with the big, long beard, threatened to kill me. Um, The guy Antle with the one that everybody claims had so many wives, he was actually at a party where Joe was trying to get people in the party to get together to um, tranquilize me with ketamine, which is a paralyzing agent, and then take me out swamp and cut me into parts and so and I've actually been physically attacked when I go to speak at the Florida Wildlife Commission hearings where people who are abusing animals don't want me to be able to speak up about laws to protect them and so they physically attacked me in the parking lot. I've had over the years the police officers who go to those things have had to actually escort me all the way to the county line so that I didn't have somebody follow me to kill me and so and (laughs) Jeff. Joe Exotic for crying out loud! I mean, he had—if you guys in the UK probably saw this, Louis Theroux just did a piece called "Shooting Joe Exotic." Yeah, yeah. And in that film, back in 2011, Joe was talking about hiring a hitman to kill me. That far back, so um, there were—he's well, clearly not doing that
0: good of a job because that was like 10 years ago. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he was trying to get people to do it for free for years. I mean, every night he was going on YouTube saying. She's coming after your pets. She wants nobody to ever have dogs or cats or birds or anything, and we've got to stop this woman. We've got to rape her. We've got to break her legs. We've got to silence her. We've got to hurt her family. We've got to do something to make her stop going after us. And he couldn't get anybody to do it, and so other than the few people that attacked me at the um, events that I just told you about, but once he couldn't get somebody to do it for free, I think that's when he started going, okay, well, we need to pay somebody, and he started talking about that in 2011. In 2015, two different women reached out to me. One said he had tried to hire her husband because he was a sharpshooter in the military. And then the other one said he had actually tried to hire her and because he knew she had guns. And she, both of those women came to me and said, you need to protect yourself because this guy's trying to hire somebody to kill you. And so I took it to the authorities. I took mm-hmm. it to the FBI. And they just never did anything about it until the one that everybody knows about, which is the $3,000 dare like drunk hitman
0: <laughs> or tiger <king>. strong choice <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: you get what you pay for yeah joe <laughs> you know i find it's, it's not bizarre but i feel like it's just obviously it's normal now like, you've probably spoke about this like for hundreds like even like probably millions of times but like how kind of candidly you kind of just like dust this off your shoulders like yeah this is what happened this is what life was for like a huge period of time like, has it calmed down or is, is this like an ongoing thing now for
2: you? I think it's kind of like boiling a frog. You know, it's just been for so long and so um, escalating, you know, but escalating slowly that it's just not been something where I like live in terror, or get freaked out about it. But um, that was the first part of your question. Second part of your question was...
0: But well, I can't even remember the second part of the question.
2: <laughs> what was it? Um, um,
0: yeah. What, what, is, what, what is life like now? Like, do you still have that kind of those feelings there?
2: Yeah, um, I do. Because I feel like, you know, in order for the authorities to make a case against somebody, they have to have so much evidence that they just know they're going to win, because it's going to be such an expensive endeavor for them to put on a trial like Joe's that took a week long, and you've got all of these investigators and attorneys and everything involved, so they won't even bring a case unless they've just got mountains of evidence, and again, Tiger King only showed you little bits and pieces and tried to make it like frame, which was ridiculous. Anybody can go pull the transcripts and the evidence from the trial and you'd be like, oh yeah, he's the right word. (laughs) Uh, But most people won't go to that effort. So that's why most people don't realize that. But they were able to catch him because he's just the dumbest one of all of those abusers. And the ones who are the smartest and still want me dead are still out there walking around free. So You know, they say it's not the barking dog that you have to worry about. It's the one you can't see coming. And, you know, because I know that they are really getting desperate now. Some of them are antles under indictment for 15 counts of animal trafficking and animal abuse. Tim Stark just lost all of his animals and all of his assets. And Jeff Lowe is very close to being in the same boat due to PETA lawsuits and the Department of Justice coming after him. And they all know it's because I've just been doggedly after them all these years. As has Peta, they've been amazing. And so I think, but you know, with Peta, it's like it's an organization. Who do they kill there to make that stop? Whereas with me, it's like it's her. We could just. So you're the
0: you're the kind of like face of it, aren't you? You're the face and the voice of it. Who's kind of, I feel like you've took the brunt of well all of it.
2: Yeah, I, I think so because it's easier to hate a person than it is a organization yeah and I'm also the easiest person for them to try and discredit because I have this family tragedy that I can't explain my husband walked out the door one day and never came back I don't know what happened to him and there's there's no way that I can say with any kind of um, credibility that I didn't kill him because I can't I can't even prove if he's dead or alive and so by having that, they always have that, that they can divert people's attention to and get it off of the topic of whether or not they're abusing animals. Yeah. And they've done that successfully for years.
0: I was gonna say, just between like us, like it's okay, because I won't tell anyone, but did you kill him? Of course Did you not. put him in the meat? <laughs> i joking. That was awful, that was awful, poorly timed. <laughs> but yeah. honestly, I think you are incredible like you really are and it's just proof that standing up for what you believe in and you know following that passion yes you know you are going to be faced with people people are going to talk whether you do bad or good like regardless of what walk of life you're in but the fact that you are still here and you are still going like it's remarkable do you ever do you ever take like a step back and like take it all into all the good work that you've actually like you have achieved
2: you know, it, it does make me worry sometimes that my, my story has become so well known because I'm afraid that people might look at that and think, I don't want to have to be her. I don't want people coming after me. I don't want people saying things that aren't true about me. I don't want mm-hmm. people accusing me of things. And if it's standing up for, whether it be an animal or the disenfranchised or whoever it is that needs a voice if standing up for that group is going to make you the target of what i was targeted with in 2020 who would want to do that and so i feel like it's a huge step backwards for everyone who ever wanted to do anything positive with their yeah. life that tiger king did such a masterful job of trashing me
0: what is the relationship with that then like because did you kind of speak out and be like, Do you know what? Hang on a minute, that wasn't fair. Like, I, I don't agree with kind of the way I've been treated here.
2: I didn't have to say that because they knew that what they did was wrong, and I know they know that because I had given them all of the evidence that they needed to the contrary to prove to disprove the things that I could. Like I said, I don't know yeah. what happened to my husband. I have a theory that he crashed out over the Gulf, but I can't mm-hmm. prove it. But the things that I could prove were things like, he wasn't a millionaire when I met him. He wasn't even Don Lewis when I met him. He was telling me his name was Bob Martin. And he could barely read or write. I'm the person who built up our real estate business. When you hear his family and his um, friends saying, he just had the Midas touch. He was like a golden goose. It was like, yeah, because you couldn't figure out how that man who couldn't read or write had so much money. It's because I was making the money.
1: And so, I was
0: i'm, not, all the I'm no it. like detective
2: here but <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't figure it out from the way he's behaving and doing i mean he's been his whole his whole day would be going from one dumpster to another and loading it up into the van and bringing it home and apparently according to some of the things that police have found since then he spent a lot of time chasing women as well but i didn't know that as much i knew he had another <laughs> girlfriend but i didn't know until tiger king his wife said he had 24 of those 24 who's got time for that many women in their life
0: 25 then again who has that time for that many cats carol (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) be careful (laughs) here
2: but you know saying that i had mistreated his children and it's like he didn't care anything about his kids when we got married i'm the one who put what money he did have in a trust for his kids so that it would go to them if anything happened to him and I gave that money to them yeah. and then they were angry that they didn't get everything else and it's like I worked for this this is not yours to take and yeah. so all of that is in the public record anybody could go down and pull the conservatorship files which I had done and I gave to the producers prior to them putting this out they didn't care about what the truth was. They had a narrative. I mean, their whole narrative was that there was a feud between me and Joe Exotic. I've never spoken to Joe Exotic to the this, this was I actually going to be
0: one of my questions. Like, have you actually ever had any kind of contact or like been in the same room? I have been in the
2: same room. Um, I was in the room with him three times when we were suing him for using our name. Oh, of and course, yeah, yeah, a million dollar judgment against him. So I was in the room in the courtroom, but I didn't speak to him. And then I was, um, I was at a public event in Ohio. It, are you familiar with Zanesville, where Terry Thompson released fifty-six lions and tigers and then killed himself and in the actual town? Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Ohio. So they, after that happened, they passed a ban on big cats, but I was one of the people who went there to speak for the ban, and Joe was there to speak out against banning people having big cats, and he had attacked the tiny little director, she's a little teeny tiny woman who was the director of the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. And so I jumped in between the two of them and he took off running. So that was like as close as we ever came to any kind of a conversation. And I didn't even say anything to him then. It was just, you know, my body language of you're not going to take it to this little lady.
0: It honestly baffles me because he's quite clearly where he needs to be. (laughs) Just again, just for, oh, I don't know. Like it, it, all jokes aside, like it obviously it entertains quite a lot of people, but when it comes down to it, it's quite dangerous. So huge, again, huge respect for you to kind of just keep going with all of this. Well, thank you. What is next? Obviously, we're in the process now of kind of coming out of the pandemic and things slowly getting back to normal. Like, what what's the plan? This is it just to keep going with like fighting the good fight.
2: Yeah, like I said, I just got back from D.C. We're still pressing for a federal bill. The Big Cat Public Safety Act will only do two things. It prohibits the cub petting, which is what drives all of the breeding and discarding of big cats. And none of those cats can serve any kind of conservation value because they're all crossbred and inbred. And there's never been and never will be a program where you can breed tigers in captivity and turn them loose in the wild. That is just crazy. That wouldn't happen. And if you want to save tigers in the wild, the smart thing to do is save tigers in the wild. They're still there, they can be protected. We just need to keep people away from them. That's my first goal is to end the abuse so that my sanctuary doesn't have to exist. I don't want to ever have to rescue another cat from a horrible situation. And as these cats die of old age, then I can devote more and more of my time to saving the cats in the wild. We'll always do bobcat rehab and release here because bobcats will always get hit by cars, um, but those cats can be set free because they're born in the wild. And then the the big uh, picture that I see for the future is we have, zoos have, have been like the big last stronghold of abuse in my opinion, when it comes to cats. Most people have figured out we shouldn't wear them <laughs> we shouldn't see them in circuses after they've been eaten yeah and we shouldn't own them as pets i think people are finally wrapping their heads around that here in the u.s but the one thing that people still hang on to is that we should have them in zoos and they say that we should do this because it's for conservation and for education it's not either breathing them for life in cages does nothing to save them in the wild and that's what conservation is conservation mm-hmm. is saving wild so that we save the entire planet. We're dealing with climate crisis right now because we're not saving the planet and not taking care of the planet. And so if we really want to educate people about these animals, seeing them in cages won't do that because when you see a tiger in a cage, it's a shadow of who that cat really is. And I get to see that every day because I see bobcats who live in cages here and I deal with wild bobcats. And you would not think they were the same animal at all. They are so different in the way that they are. And so you're not learning anything when you see a cat in a cage. So what I see for the future are 360 degree internet streaming cameras that are placed along the paths where these cats travel in the wild. And we use a tokenized system. I just recently came out with something called CatCoin but I could see somebody doing, not my cat coin, it's not going to do it because I don't have the infrastructure to make yeah. it somebody <laughs> will come up with a coin that you can buy to use like a subscription fee to different cameras. And the money from that coin would then go into those local economies where those cats live. And that makes everybody in the entire area game wardens to protect those animals, to make sure that the forests aren't being cut down that the prey animals aren't being sucked out of there by the humans yeah. needing them for protein because now they have got this huge income that allows them to eat like everybody else and get much better quality proteins than what they can do by eating bushmeat. And it's through that kind of a symbiotic relationship between all of us in the world who want to see wild cats doing amazing wildcat things and people who live next to wild cats who are willing to protect their ability to do wildcat things that our entire planet ends up benefiting because then you have healthy forests, you have fresh air, you have clean water sources, all of the things that we need to survive as a planet. And that I believe is the big future after we take this first step, which is to end the practice of keeping these animals in cages.
0: I think it's remarkable. Again, I literally just like lapped everywhere. It's, it's just a no brainer, isn't it? Like yeah. it's, it's going to, it's got so many more benefits to it. And I think as well with, especially with the younger generation at the minute, there's so much more kind of like open and understanding, like, no, we need to, they're more aware of the planet and this, you know, the social righteousness, I think is what I'm trying to. So I feel like you've, I feel like you've created a bit of a legacy, with all of this. Oh, well, thank you.
2: I don't care that I'm ever remembered for it. I just want to see it happen.
0: I think it's a strong word, strong words. <laughs> I have got one final thing and I thought I'd show you because I get laughed out for wearing these but I feel like if anyone's going to appreciate these it would be yourself. Do you like my slippers?
2: <laughs> I love them. Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> thank you. See, I get laughed out I- for wearing these yeah there's my they say simba on the bottom
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a uh, savannah cat right now that's named simba and a tiger who's oh. named simba. but simba actually means lion so that's the appropriate name for your slipper is that what simba means yeah it's swahili for lion
0: wow well, every day's a school day
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> a oh. swahili word i know <laughs>
0: It's probably the only Swahili word that you need to know (laughs) with your line (laughs) of work. (laughs) Carol, you have been an absolute pleasure to talk to. I could literally sit here and talk to you all day, but I know how phenomenally busy you are. But thank you so much for joining me for a waffle. Well,
1: thank
2: you, Taylor. I appreciate it. You were fun too.
0: You've been listening to the Waffle Shop podcast with me, Taylor James. Huge thank you to my very special guest this week, the legend that is, Carol Baskin. Don't forget, if you've liked what you've heard, hit that subscribe button. Give us five stars. And as always,
2: I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?